And so this morning, we are going to preach about what it means to be called by God in our lives. And calling is big. It is not just this little, you know, mini thing. Because if you were to ask me, Pastor Eric, what is your calling? My calling is Christ. Everything else is just an assignment on the in-between. Yeah? My calling, I love Bethel, and I love you guys. Is it my calling? No, my calling is to follow Jesus in whatever way that looks like. And when he opens up the toolkit and says, hey, I need you to be a hammer, I need you to be an ax, I need you to be a screwdriver, you know, again, to put it in those weird terms, I will be whatever it is that he wants me to be in any situation. It's being obedient, it's being faithful in the little things and the big things, no matter where, no matter who, no matter what. And that is what I want to talk about. See, because I believe that all of us, as the body of Christ, we are called If you've stepped in here today and you don't know Jesus, I pray that you come to know him. If you're watching online and you don't know Jesus, I pray that you come to know him and that you would leave being called by him as you step out of here today. Why? Because being called by Jesus is one of the most awesome, loveliest things you can experience, even if you go through gruesome moments while doing it. And I think I can testify to all of that, as well as many others here. One person who felt this irresistible calling was the Apostle Paul. When you read the New Testament, you see a man that is driven because of his personal encounter with Jesus. And because of that, he wants to make Jesus known to everyone, everywhere, no matter what, no matter who, no matter where. And so he writes the following to the Christians that are in Philippi who are struggling They're dealing with hardship, and really, one of the last things on their mind is, how do we follow Jesus and make him known to the people around us who are being mean to us? Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 through 14 says the following, now that I have already obtained this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that which Jesus Christ took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, it is forgetting what is behind me and straining toward what is ahead. I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. The call of God is all about that. The call of God is following the Lord with whatever it is that he's asking you to do. Does that mean it's always going to be easy? No. Does it mean that everyone's always going to understand it? No. Does it mean that you will never internally wrestle with God by doing the very things that he's asking you to do for him? You will wrestle. You will fear. You will doubt. You will struggle, you'll deal with fear, anxiety, you name it, you're going to deal with it. And even in the midst of fear, God is still calling you to follow him anyway. As I was preparing this sermon, not to relate everything to us and relate everything to ministry and church, Pastor Rina and I have a dear friend who in the U.S. people would refer to her as a pastor's wife. But she is more than a pastor's wife. She is a renowned surgeon overseas. But before she was a surgeon, she was in training to be an OBGYN in the Netherlands. 
and she was known. The doctors knew her, the hospitals knew her. She was already publishing articles while she was getting her master's as a doctor. So she was this you know, person of persons. And she had come to faith in her older teenage years. And there she was at the university representing Jesus and doing her residency. But in the midst of everything, right when she was about to end her residency, they called her in for a meeting and they said to her, you are unhirable. We've blacklisted you. And the reason they did that is because she, as a follower of Jesus, being an OBGYN, said, I will treat all women no matter what, but I will not perform abortions. I just won't. I'll do, any, I'll do any other procedure. I'll do any other thing. I will not perform abortions. They said, today is the end of your career. She was not taken on by any other hospital, and she had to go to Germany, and that was the Lord opening up another door where she became a surgeon, meaning the very thing that she trained for, that she wanted to do. She said to me, Eric, you preached about this stuff. I could hear it. It was like the toilet flushing. Sometimes following Jesus and his call will feel like you are flushing the toilet on your hopes, dreams, and desires a thousand times. But the things that God will call you to do, the places he will call you to go, the people he will cause you to minister will be way better than the thousand toilet flushes that you've done. Come on. And God is preparing you in the midst of everything that you're going through. There are three responses and three things that we need to know about this irresistible calling. The first thing is, is that God calls ordinary people to do extraordinary things. Do you believe that? Are you just, uh, you know, Joe Schmo? Are you just some regular person? Well, maybe in your everyday life you are. You're just plain Jane, Joe Schmo. But in God's eyes and in his economy, he is always looking to do something special. He is always looking to do something supernatural in and through you. There's a famous missionary, he's Dutch. His name is Brother Andrew. You may have heard of the ministry called Open Doors that ministers to the persecuted church all over the world. Brother Andrew smuggled Bibles in and led people in the former Soviet Union to Jesus. And he wrote a book about the calling. It's called The God Smuggler. He's got another book called The Calling. And he wrote the following in one of his books. He said, the Bible is full of ordinary people who went to impossible places and did wondrous things simply because they decided to follow Jesus. Do you believe that? Do you believe that God can take you and your life plain Jane, Joe Schmo, and that he can use you to do extraordinary things. I hope you believe that. I don't know about you guys sometimes. I scratch my head in both services. I grew up in a household that my mother would say to us, if God wants it, he can cause you to be a king of a country that you don't even have the birthright to. If God wants it, he can make you the leader of this country. If God has a plan and purpose for you, no one and nothing will stand in the way of that. Are you personally believing God for great things in your life? Come on. 
And if you're not, I hope you do by the time you leave here today, that you begin to believe God that even though your life might feel as ordinary as they come, Lord, let my life become extraordinary for you. One such person who can talk about this is Mary, the mother of Jesus. In Luke chapter one, verse 34 through 37, we hone in on a moment of seeing the calling of Mary. An angel appeared to her and told her that she would become pregnant and she would give birth to the Messiah. There she was, this teenage girl living in her little village, just minding her own business, taking care of household responsibilities with mommy, and an angel appears and shakes her world. Luke 1, 34 through 37. Mary said to the angel, I'm a virgin, how then can this be? The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and God's power will rest upon you. For this reason, the holy child will be called the Son of God. Remember your relative, Elizabeth? It is said that she cannot have children, but she herself is now six months pregnant, even though she is very old. For there is nothing that God cannot do, or nothing is impossible for God. I am the Lord's servant, said Mary, and may it happen to me as you have said. And then the angel left her. This particular calling was a very unique calling. Oftentimes, Protestants, we can sidestep someone like Mary, but Mary is a very important person. There she was, just this girl living her ordinary life in a village. And if you traced her ancestry, you could see that she came from the line of King David, just the same as her fiance, Joseph. However, that kingdom had come to nothing, and so Mary was just a commoner. No one cared about her. People walked by her on the street. They didn't give two rips about Mary. But all of a sudden, an angel appeared to this young woman and told her that God was about to do something extraordinary in her. I remember growing up and my history teachers mocking this particular story. You know, if people say in the United States, Christians are not persecuted, I don't know what United States you grew up in, but the part I grew up in, every teacher I had knocked Christians every day every week, every hour. They made it a point to single me out as a believer and mock me in front of the whole class. And they said, do you really believe this? I said, yes, I do. They said, you don't believe that this is a story that a teenage girl just made up because she got pregnant. I said, no, and I'm gonna tell you why for two reasons. Number one, according to the Jewish customs and culture, a married woman could have given birth to the Messiah. Mary didn't need to concoct a supernatural story because every Jewish woman had this hope that the child that they bore would be the Messiah. They did not know that the Messiah would come by supernatural means. So Mary was not just making up a story. Secondly, Mary was betrothed to Joseph. Betrothal is something different than an engagement, meaning Mary and Joseph were already engaged in legal contracts with one another. Meaning if Joseph had impregnated Mary, all they needed to do was officially have the wedding take place and everything would have been kosher 
all over again. Mary was not trying to do a cover-up with a story. Mary genuinely experienced the power of God that came over her life, and she dealt with the scrutiny, the mocking, the misunderstandings, and she allowed God to do a work in her life like never before so that the Messiah could be born through her. Mary is an example to you and I because she was with Jesus at the cross, but in the book of Acts, it shows us too, guess who was in the upper room to get filled with the Holy Spirit so that they could share Jesus with others? Mary, the mother of Jesus. Mary was a woman who knew how to respond to the call of God. Even though she was an ordinary woman, she let God's power make her into an extraordinary disciple of Jesus. May her words be our words. Lord, I am your servant. May it happen to me as you have said. Lord, not my will be done, but your will in my life. The second thing that God needs from us in order to respond to his calling is, do you know that God needs your yes? God needs your permission in order to work in your life. Why? Because Jesus is with us by the power of the Holy Spirit. And what that means is the difference between the Holy Spirit and demonic spirits, demonic spirits force. They possess. They go against your will, your desire. They pressure. They move you to do things you don't want to. The Holy Spirit, according to Western understanding, is a gentleman. He asks, he leads, he guides, he, he, he asks you, he tugs. He says, hey, come, why don't you do this? Why don't you, why don't you call that person that you know needs encouragement? Why don't you go tell that person about me? Why don't you cook this meal for this person that's in need? Why don't you give this amount to this person that you know needs it? The Holy Spirit is always leading. So he needs our yes in order to do that work within our lives. Brother Andrew, a man that was on a mission, understood this, and he said the following, whenever, wherever, however you want me, I'll go. I'll begin this very minute. Lord, as I stand up from this place, as I take my first step forward, will you consider this a step towards complete obedience to you? I'll call it a step of yes. See, we oftentimes want the will and the work of God, but we want the big picture, right? Like we want the end result of the story. We want the glory in the mountain. But God is calling us to a yes answer in obedience in our daily lives. In the mundane, in the most simplest of tasks and responsibilities, God is asking a yes from us. See, God is not looking for rock stars and superstars. He is looking for ordinary people that say yes, that open the door to the will of God so that great things can happen for his kingdom. Well, we heard about Mary. I said a little bit about Paul, but I wanna take you into the moment in the life of a man named Ananias. If you have your Bibles with you, we're gonna look at Acts chapter nine, verses 10, and then I'll read further all the way through 18, but highlighting a few of them. See, when Paul, before he was converted to Christ, he was Saul. 
He was a Pharisee, a Jewish leader. He persecuted Christians. He approved of the death of Stephen. This man was not a man you wanted to be around. And Ananias gets a calling that requires a deep yes from him. Starting in verse 10, Acts chapter 9. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called him in a vision. Ananias, yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he had seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. Verse 16, I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up and was baptized, and after taking some food, he regained his strength. And we read these stories, and we think, yeah, and? And what? He said, yes. Well, this yes was an important yes. If Ananias had not said yes, Paul would never have received the baptism and the Holy Spirit. If Ananias did not say yes, Paul would have never regained his sight. But when we look at it, we just go, oh, whatever, like this is Paul, so we get it. No, 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 no. Oh, if I said to you right now, in the prayer room right now, I have, and he's dead right now, but I have Osama bin Laden. He's in the prayer room. Will one of you get up and go lay hands on him right now? I don't think many of you would be jumping to go in there. Come on, be on come on, really. Get real with the story. If I said to you, Fred Rogers was in the prayer room and wanted prayer, most of you would go pray with Mr. Rogers. For the people of that time, Paul to them was like an Osama bin Laden type character. He was a persecutor, a terrorist. He was out to get them. He was breathing murderous threats on their backs. And he had come to a radical conversion in Christ, but then Ananias is being told, oh, go pray for him. And Ananias is like, oh, hold up, wait a second. I'm gonna say yes, but God, do you understand who this man is? Yes. God understands the people and the places he is calling you to. He understands the obstacles that you'll be up against. He understands their reaction. But when God says to follow him, Your desire should be to follow him unabashedly. Why? Because Ananias' yes was even more important than the yeses of Paul all throughout his missionary career. I've lived a life serving the Lord. Since I was a teenager up until the present, I have been serving God and ministering. I've served on the foreign mission field. I've done missions trips in other countries. You name it, I've been there and I've done it. 
And everyone can look at the things I do and I can tell story after story of amazing things that God has done throughout the years because I have said yes. But I want you to know that I stand here today because of another woman in my life who said yes. My mother's best friend and my aunt, she said yes when I was a teenager. When things were not going well in her life, she took a summer and set it apart for God and began to pray and seek Jesus like never before. And while she was cleaning her bathtub, she was filled with the Holy Spirit and she was completely transformed. And because of the transformation I saw in my aunt's life, it rattled something in me. And even though I thought it was somewhat weird, I wanted what she had. I wanted the joy, the love, and the peace that my Auntie Marge had. And so she said yes, and her yes led to my yes, and it led to my calling. Picture if she never said yes. Your yes is important. Thank you for the child that helped me out right now. <laughs> yes, Lord. Yes, Lord, use me. Yes, Lord, to your will and to your way. The last thing I wanna to speak to you about is no more excuses. We as human beings, we tend to make a lot of them. And excuses can be dangerous. You know, there was this mindset in the church, even within the charismatic Pentecostal movement. Lord, if you don't, um, if I say no to God, God's gonna use someone else. There were people that preached that kind of stuff. No, it's called disobedience. If you don't do it, guess what? It is not going to happen. Yes? It is like when we're away on vacation. If we don't water the flowers or have someone water them, guess what? They die. Come on, let that be a reality to you. I remember when I was really like on the verge of becoming a missionary and I was like, oh, should I go, should I not go? I sat down with a really good friend of mine at a restaurant along the seashore in Connecticut and she looked me in the face and she said to me, and really my friends know how to talk to me, she said, Eric, if you do not obey the Lord, people will go to hell and it's your responsibility. And people would say, what kind of friend is that? A really good one a really good friend who told me the truth and not what I wanted to hear. Brother Andrew said this about excuses. He said, what is it, Lord? What am I holding back? What am I using as an excuse for not serving you and whatever it is that you want me to do? And then there by the canal, I had my answer. My yes to God had always been a yes, but. Yes, but. Yes, but I'm not educated. Yes, but I'm lame. And with the next breath, I did say yes. I said it in a brand new way without qualification. I'll go, Lord. God is looking for you to say an unabashed yes. Oh, but Lord, you don't understand my company. Lord, you don't understand uh, you know, how people look at me. You don't understand my insecurities. You don't understand my physical, my mental, my social limitations. When God calls you, I hope that you understand that he knows you. 
And so when he knows you, he knows every excuse you want to bring up. He knows it. But God is not looking to just use you just because of the talents and abilities you possess. God wants to work in a supernatural way through your life. He is not only looking at your abilities, he is looking at your availabilities. Here I am, Lord. Use me. Send me. In Luke chapter 5, verses 8 through 11, we see Peter on the verge of calling. Peter is a fisherman on the shores of Galilee with other fishermen. And I don't know if you've ever seen a fishing vessel from Galilee. When I was in Israel, I got to see one that they had kind of dug up. And a fishing vessel of that time period is not like a huge fishing ship that we see nowadays. It could probably fit in this center aisle. So when Jesus met them out on the boat and he said to them after they had cast their net on one side and got no fish, he said, cast it on the other. Picture a bunch of fishermen. Have any of you ever had fishermen friends? They are hilarious. They are like farmers. They're the farmers of the sea. They are dry in their personalities, and when you talk to them in a certain way, they kind of just laugh at you like you're an idiot. And so Jesus says to them after they tried fishing on one side, oh, cast your net on the other. So picture me standing here. Here's the water. I'm in the boat. I just threw my net out on this side, and Jesus is telling me, throw the net out on this side. Like, I just didn't catch anything there. How am I supposed to catch stuff here? So they obey him and they throw off the nets and all of a sudden the nets are so full. It is a miraculous catch. And so for these fishermen, Jesus all of a sudden becomes very real to them. The fishermen got caught the greatest catch. And so Jesus is so real to them, but Peter's response is so telling as to how we are as believers, how we respond when we know that God is calling us internally. It says, when Simon Peter saw it, he got down at the feet of Jesus. He said, go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. He and all those with him were surprised and wondered about the many fish. James and John, the sons of Zebedee, were surprised also. They were working together with Simon. Then Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. From now on, you will fish for men. When they came to land with their boats, they left everything and followed Jesus. Everything and followed Jesus. God is still looking for a few good women. God is still looking for a few good teenagers and children. God is still looking for a few good men, young men, young children. God is looking for men and women, youth and children of all ages and all backgrounds that are going to say, yes, Jesus, I want to follow you. Cost me what it will cost me. I will follow you. But just be willing to lay down all of your excuses. I could have had every excuse not to do what I do. I'll be honest with you all. You see me here And a lot of people see my life for what it is now, but you don't know what I've been through to be here. When I grew up and I went to school, I did not have a good time at school growing up. I was one of the most, like, uh, how do you say that? Teased children at school. They were not nice to me. It was like a target from kindergarten all the way up through the end of high school. They would say to me all the time, where are you from? 
Like, were you born in this country? And I'd say, yes. Like, I, I didn't get what they were getting at. There was something different about me that they did not know where to place it. So they just responded in this strange way. But there I was, this child. And when I'd go to school, I wouldn't even look at people. I'd keep my head down, I'd shuffle my feet. I remember being picked for the sports teams and I'm really not like Mr. Athlete. I, I prefer not to play sports because people annoy me. I'd rather play like tennis or something where it's just one-on-one. -on -one. And so there I was, the last person chosen for the team and I remember one time like shuffling my feet with my head down and the captain that picked me, he looked at me, he said, just pick up your head and pick up your feet, please. You know, that's how I walked into a room because of how people treated me. When I was asked to read in class, I would stutter over the words. My heart would go into my throat. I would be so embarrassed and mortified that I'd wanna cry when I was being asked to read in front of people. How does God take that? How does he take that and turn it into someone who can just stand here and talk to you like it's no big deal? Because I allowed God to do a work in my life and I just stopped hanging up excuses in front of him. I stopped saying, oh, but God, people tease me. Oh, but God this, oh, but that. Oh, but God, when I read, I stutter over words and I get, I get embarrassed and, and my heart goes into my, you know, my throat. Even with all of our fears and insecurities and inabilities, God still wants to use us. He wants to use you. And as I said before, and I'll end with this, God does not choose people because of their ability but because of their availability. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, 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 Lord. Yes to your will and to your way. Yes, Lord, take my ordinary life and make it extraordinary for you. Yes, Lord, no matter where, no matter what, no matter who, use me for you. God, whatever my excuse might be, I lay it all behind me. I just wanna serve you. I just wanna follow you. If we could bow our heads in prayer, and as we do that, if you're a member of the altar team, if you can make your way to the front again, please. The Lord is looking for a few good women, young ladies, children. The Lord is looking for a few good men that would say, Lord, no matter who, no matter what, no matter where, no matter when, my answer to you today is yes. Yes, Lord, to your will to your way. If you feel the Spirit of God tugging at you, I kindly ask you as Pastor Noah sings this last song to respond to these altars. Let these men and women of God, let them be like an Ananias in your life. Let them lay hands on you and see the kingdom of God released in your life by saying yes, yes, yes. Pastor Noah, why don't you lead us? If you're watching online, I'm gonna pray just one last prayer to close us off. And if you're watching online and you feel that yes, just let us know so we can reach out to you. Thank you, Jesus. Have your way, Lord, in every heart and every person. Jesus, let our answer to you be yes. Yes, Lord, to your will, to your way. Yes, Lord, to your purposes. Call your people today. Call them, Lord. Call them in whatever profession they are, whatever school they go to, whatever neighborhood they live in. Let them say yes, yes, yes. If you feel that call of God on your life, come. 
Come, come and leave your nets. Come and leave behind what you need to leave behind and let Jesus do a work in your life like never before. Come if he's calling you, if you feel the Spirit of God leading you and pulling on you, respond to him and let him use you like never before. God bless you this morning. Let's stand with one another. We can sing with Pastor Noah. If you want to respond to these altars, the altar team is available for you.